0: This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. Today's episode is another milestone for Two Guys in a River. This is our first episode of year four. Yes, year four. We produced a weekly episode for three years now, and we're not planning on slowing down.
1: Year four, here we come. Can you believe it, Dave? 156 episodes. No, wow. Man, it's a marathon, basically. It has been a yeah. bit of a marathon. I, I'm not sure why we chose to go every week yeah, man. for our podcast. Uh, we could have gone every other week or done limited episodes like limited seasons like you you do 22 and then you're done Mm -hmm. we chose uh chose to go every week i think it's worked for us there's a good rhythm and that's been a good discipline you know when we first started both of our kids were playing football oh my goodness college College football football
0: yeah that's right (laughs) this will
1: be my first year with no football in about what 12 13 14 years wow how did you deal with that last fall
0: oh man i don't know i went fly fishing i guess yeah <laughs> exactly
1: i have to tell uh, you i am grieving i just can hardly imagine what it's going to be like this fall but anyway i know That's, we digress
0: well this podcast will help we'll just talk more fishing yeah you don't want to do two episodes a week <laughs> <laughs> oh man no let's not do that uh, yeah i have no oh, meaning in my wow. life okay Well, as we begin year four of our podcast, we're going to talk about some trends we see in our sport. The wonderful world of fly fishing. Fly fishing remains the same in some ways,
1: yet there are some new trends we've observed, and we're going to talk about six of them today. Let's begin with the first. I think there is really a lot of interest in fly fishing, judging by the popularity of our podcast. and our
0: podcast... uh... (coughs) popularity just says a little i mean that that is the marker that everybody looks at to
1: determine if fly fishing has a future right well man since we've started there is an explosion of of fly fishing podcasts and there were some really good podcasts before we started yeah small potatoes compared to like the orvis podcast and others i think we fluctuate between six and seven thousand subscribers right now and we have monthly again this is a fluctuation it fluctuates between 12 and 13,000 unique downloads uh, a month. And the word unique is important because that signals that one person has downloaded that single episode. And it's really hard to get good metrics in digital marketing. People think that it's so clear it's not actually. But the unique download, uh, we have 12 to 13,000 unique downloads a month. That's a good signal, I guess, of of where we're at
0: yeah it is and you know you look around i i noticed the other day that uh, an orvis video on the basic fly cast that they posted five years ago has 1.2 million views wow wow and you know our friends in the industry have said too that the the spike after uh, the movie a river runs through it man that's 25 years old or so yeah. now crazy isn't it? 25 isn't and a half it? years wow. yeah. wow well, that spike uh, it, it kind of leveled off after a decade or so after the movie, but but the interest is still there.
1: I think that's true, and I think it's growing pretty much at the rate of of uh, of the population growth. Mm-hmm. But there's a big push by the brands. We'll talk about this in a little yeah. bit to increase that. So there's yeah. there's right now I think there's a lot of interest. Yeah, uh,
0: there, there really is uh, in the sport. And don't you think too, Dave that as much as you and I both love to hunt uh, that fly fishing is more accessible uh, than hunting Uh, just from the cost I think just from the the access I mean I I think about places where I bow hunted in Montana for elk uh, shot an elk one year or yeah killed an elk with a bow and then uh, uh, places we used to whitetail hunt and you can't I couldn't get access there now if I wanted it's the land's been sold, it's all leased. I mean, yeah, there's still a wilderness area, and I, you know, I shot a couple bulls and uh, a couple elk in, in the uh, uh, Zorkie Beartooth Wilderness area, but uh, that's an issue. I mean, even here in Illinois, where I, I grew up hunting whitetail in the, you know, in the, the fall in November, um, yeah, that, that land's been developed and i don't know just the the pri- the cost too of yeah the cost is the firearms and vehicles to get where you need to go uh, i mean fly fishing is is more accessible you can do it year round or at least you can say there are three really good seasons
1: that's true i grew up in north dakota and north dakota used to be just a bunch of small farms yes there were larger farms but now it, it's almost like you have to have like 5 or 10,000 acres for you to even survive so yeah. what's that what has happened is there's just big roll-ups of these farms and there's more corporate farming. And what they do is they lease their land. And so you ha- it's very difficult to get on like for goose hunting or for pheasant mm-hmm. hunting. And yeah. fortunately, we have friends who have access to some of that land, and we also have land ourselves in South Dakota. But I'm telling you, it is increasingly mm-hmm. difficult to get access to private yeah. land. So I think fly fishing gives you access to public land and I think yeah. public waters, and I think that's why it has more appeal
0: really does so uh, that's uh, that's one of the trends we're seeing there's still a lot of interest in fly fishing so if you're a, a fly fisher uh, that's uh, that's pretty good news
1: or if you're just starting out I think that's that's a really good yeah. news, right and so there's just a lot of stuff available yep. videos etc. To, to learn how to fly fish yeah
0: well here's a second trend Dave and that is that a generation of legendary fly fishers is is passing away I mean, Bud Lilly passed away, uh, age 91, on January 4th, 2017. That was, uh, that was during the second year of our podcast. But uh, this past year, during year three, uh, Lefty Cray died at 93, uh, March 14th, 2018. That was only three months ago. Uh, Fly Fishers still talk about the days that he taught casting. Every year at the Federation of Fly Fishers conclaves, in West Yellowstone, Montana. I've never been to one of those, but I've heard a lot about him. And, you know, maybe we ought to talk, take just a few minutes, talk about Lefty Cray. I mean, he's, he's one of those legends people ought to know about. Uh, here's a guy, you know, part of that greatest generation, as it's called. He, he fought in the Battle of the Bulge in World War II and eventually became an outdoor writer for the Baltimore Sun. Uh, his fly fishing mentor was another legend, Joe Brooks. And Cray learned to fly fish when he was about 22 years old. He was serving as a fishing guide for Brooks. Hey, Dave, by the way, we, we did an episode recently on one fine day on Nelson Spring Creek, and it turns out that Joe wow. Brooks had a stroke uh, while fishing that creek, and he died a day later. I, I forgot Whoa, about that. Isn't that really? Something? Yeah. That
1: is amazing. Yeah,
0: it really is.
1: Yeah, I remember you talking about Joe Brooks. So he was the guy who yeah, he mentored Gunting him- Cray. Yeah, he was. And he kind of uh, helped uh, the Nelsons, uh, gave
0: them the idea, got things started for the, the Spring Creek. But, man, that's
1: it. Uh, you know, the guys like that are, are, yeah, are kind of passing away. And during Lefty's lifetime, man, he fished with Presidents Carter and Bush, and he even fished with Hemingway. That's something. Isn't that uh, amazing? Yeah. Jack Nicholas, Ted Williams, Fidel Castro. <laughs> Of all people, and Huey Lewis. Yeah. (laughs) Huey Lewis in the news. Oh, man. I just listened to a podcast with Joan Wolf. Now, Joan Wolf is still with us, Mm -hmm. but I think she's close to 90. She did the podcast, she did a podcast with April Vokey, and it was probably one of the best podcast episodes that I think April has ever done. I think mostly because April really connected with her in the, yeah. in the episode and just did a terrific job getting her to say some things I thought was just amazing about yeah. her life and mm-hmm. just an amazing story. But yep. Joan Wolf is another one who is you know getting up there. She's, right. not, she's mm-hmm. not passed away in this moment. Right. But you're right, this whole generation, these legends, and yeah. I don't know, are they being replaced with legends? This generation that's coming up behind them?
0: Yeah, and it's a new day. Maybe, maybe what they provided is not exactly what was needed. But they were. When you think about Bud Lilly and and people like him, they, they were the conservationists. They were the ones who started, you know, getting catch and release fishing, popularized and thinking a lot about uh, how do we how do we preserve, uh, you know, these amazing rivers and streams that we have so that future generations can enjoy them and i think what you have now you've got a lot of uh you know up and coming fly fishers and those in the industry who who are sharing that passion but but they're not pioneers no they're able to build on what's been done yeah
1: they're the people who come behind the pioneers yeah Yeah, for sure that's for sure so what else Uh, i would say the third trend is what i would call the rise of niche direct-to-consumer brands. The Internet has spawned a whole new wave of fly-fishing brands. Pun intended? Fun p- <laughs> Pun intended. Yeah. Sorry. Fun intended. Pun yeah. intended. Yeah, that's right. Basically, they go direct-to-consumer. That is, yeah. they sell directly via their website and other websites. For example, you cannot sell an Orvis H3 fly rod via the internet, unless you have a physical location. You actually have to have an Orvis dealership. So you can buy yeah. you can buy that through mm. Orvis, you can buy it mm. online through Orvis, you can go mm. to an Orvis fly shop and right. buy that rod, or you can go to a fly shop that has a dealership. But you can't just say, I'm gonna start an online business and start selling Orvis rods. Right. So, but, so there's all this limited shelf space, and, and there's really limited places to buy gear. And yet there's this explosion of new brands because they're able now to sell direct via the internet to mm-hmm. consumers. A good example of that would be Moonshine, Moonshine Rods. It's a new brand of fly rods. I know it's not like new, new, but the last five years. Right. But it's a young brand that's up and coming. It's not lower end in terms of quality, but lower end in terms of pricing. hmm And they do a lot of marketing. I see their marketing on Instagram. Uh, I see their marketing on Facebook. Mm -hmm. They just really understand how to go direct to consumers. So there's, there's this explosion of new brands. Really, Fishpond would be one of those yeah, in the last uh-huh. 10 years, right? right the Mets, yeah. um, and they also do some other uh, products as well. But Fishpond would be another one. They're more missional. They have a very clear yeah, missional. Yeah, right. Uh, but again, you can buy those in some fly shops, so that would be a little bit different with Fishpond. But mm-hmm. what I'm just saying is there's all these places you can go to, like an online retailer, and yeah. you've never heard of the brands. It's because people are creating these brands on the fly. So really So there's amazing. this experience of products into the fly fishing space. I'm sure it's true in other spaces as well.
0: Yeah, there's a ton of them. And then then you've got a lot of people doing entrepreneurial things. I I think of my son Luke in Denver. He's gotten to know a guy named Peter Stitcher of Ascent Fly Fishing in Littleton who basically runs it out of his garage. And uh, does a lot of online. You, You can send him, you can let him know what river you plan to fish and he'll research it. And then he'll send you the appropriate fly. So it's not just like you, you get on and you want want a dozen parachute Adams. I think he would do that. But essentially, you you get on and you want a dozen flies or a couple dozen flies, and you say, "Well, I'm I'm fishing the, the Boulder River in Montana, or I'm I'm fishing uh, you know this stream in the Driftless in Wisconsin," and and he'll he'll send you the appropriate flies. So. I think how much, you know, how many others are doing things like that. You
1: know what I would call that? I would call that like a concierge service mm-hmm. to do it yourself. Okay, yeah. You understand what I'm yeah, saying? So yeah. my wife mm-hmm. works, she's a nurse, she works for a concierge uh, concierge doctor practice. So you basically pay a fee and and you're a part of their pras- practice. In a sense, it's a subscription fee and and so you have access to them all the time. So you mm-hmm. still have to pay for all your visits, but you pay them maybe for a couple, mm-hmm. it might be fifteen hundred dollars yeah. a year. For a full family it might be three thousand dollars a year. Insurance doesn't cover that, mm-hmm. but then you get this personalized attention. Yeah. That's a little bit like what this Peter Stitcher is yeah, doing. Okay. It's, it's a concierge yeah. and it's really niche. Like yep. mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's somebody who's gonna go do fly fish themselves. He's not right. an outfitter. Mm-hmm. He's not really even a guide. I'm sure he's just guiding, but that mm-hmm. this service is anyway. It's very yeah. interesting.
0: Well, and, and I think of of uh, millennial generation and even those who are younger who are coming up. I mean, they they're doing everything online, and you know, I think about my daughters and and my sons, and and it's great because they'll they'll tip me off to well, here's here's something that you can you know we found like wow that's. That's great. How do you find that? I don't know. That, that's just their world. you know. Yeah. They're, so now, I, I think it's, uh, yeah, if, if, you're, if you're younger generations, uh, this is going to work well
1: for you. Well, maybe you can even take an Uber to the river. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yes. That's Get right. Uber Eats. Hey, I'd like a, you know. <clears throat> How about an Uber guide?
0: <laughs> oh, man. It really is a
1: great time to be a fly fisher. And this with the first point that we said, really, there's no excuse mm-hmm. for not growing in the sport yeah mm-hmm. my gosh with all the videos and podcasts yeah. and goodness gracious it's a great time and and if you're stuck just start mm-hmm. searching and, yeah. and you you can find so much uh, on on the web
0: yeah that's really true well here's a fourth trend that we've uh, noticed and and we think it's a good one uh, that is fly fishing is trying to become friendlier to women uh, there was a New York Times article six months ago uh, that said that women are now the fastest growing demographic in fly fishing, and I'm not sure where they got all their statistics. You know, we, we've talked about this before. Uh, this is kind of your area, Dave, your work, and, and you know that statistics are uh, uh, can easily be skewed, but... Uh, they claimed in this New York Times article that women make up about 31% of the 6.5 million Americans who
1: fly fish. That's a lot higher than I thought.
0: Yeah. Uh, From 2015 through 2016, there were 142,000 women who became fly fishers for... Uh, the first time so that that really does seem to be a a trend and and a change doesn't it?
1: It does and that you know it's a wonderful change I think Orvis has a campaign right now that's called 50-50 on the water I think their vision is an equal gender split in fly fishing by 2020 I think it's 2020 Um, and here's here's their language from their site quote from women specific gear development to education and adventure experiences, to nonprofit partnerships and women-centric storytelling, fifty-fifty on the water is here to inspire and celebrate women in the sport we all love. That's
0: fascinating. Unquote,
1: or quote, yeah. yeah, yeah, fascinating. So, what do you think of all this, Steve?
0: Well, I'm fine with that. I I think women who are interested should have the opportunity. Uh, you know, I'm not worried about percentages. You know, fifty-fifty. I think there's a side of me that wonders if that's not related to profit for fly fishing companies, because fly fishing is sure a is. fairly small industry. Uh, I, I think my concern is I just want to make sure that women or, or youth or people of various ethnic backgrounds have a chance to fly fish, uh, that guys like me are, are helpful and willing to share with, with anyone who gets started. So that, that's probably my you know, my bigger burden.
1: I don't think it's a bit cynical to say, hey... The brands are all struggling to grow. Yeah. hmm They increase their product right. cycles. They give you a new fly rod every year, or five new fly rods. Best technology, even though technology really probably hasn't advanced. They give a name to something, and then you know they sell you that new rod. And I get it. So yeah. I, it's not like I'm against that. Right. Yeah. Uh, I get that. But so there's just this ongoing push to find new growth and find new markets. Mm-hmm. And you know, at the end of the day. Orvis is a business, and Sage is a mm-hmm. business. So I love the campaign, and I love the the mission and thought about it. And yeah, I get it. It's it's probably a, a strategy to sell more products.
0: Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> and that's good. So I, again, I'm not against that, but I, I like the core idea of it.
0: Yeah, I think for so long fly fishing has been perceived as the pursuit of. Uh you know middle-aged uh, white males yeah we, we certainly want that to be to be broadened people want to do it uh, I think that's part of what our podcast is about our mission is to you know help new fly fishers yeah and, for sure uh, yeah anything we can do uh, that'd be great
1: yeah, yeah yeah in fact this is interesting hunting I just saw a statistic that said hunting has decreased in all the I think all 49 Of the United States, with the exception of Alaska. And in Hmm. Alaska, where it is increased is among women. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So I think that's Mm -hmm. terrific. So, what's another trend, Dave? The fifth one is increased pressure on public lands. Uh, With the push by brands to expand their product lines and, and increase interest in the sport, also comes, well, more people on the run that you want to fish. Yeah, I mean, that's think, one of the downsides, isn't it? Just, yeah. So one of the things we do to, to counter that is always to try to find new waters and smaller waters. And, you know, one reason we typically will drive to southeast Minnesota from Chicago as opposed to just fishing in the Wisconsin driftless is there just, there's just simply less pressure there. Yeah, for whatever right. reason. And one reason, of course, it's another hour and a half beyond where we stop at the Wisconsin drift list. So it's right. farther to go. So I just think that the pressure is only going to increase on our public lands.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. And we're seeing that in the western part of the U.S. as well. Uh, I have to laugh, some Montana residents complain about the, the bumper-to-bumper drift boat traffic on the Yellowstone and the Madison during certain weeks. And and I wonder if the day will come, Dave, when the number of visitors to Yellowstone National Park, for example, will be limited. I think I've I've read something about.
1: I expect that, that. You know, you discussions. Know, there were, I just read something that said there were four million visitors to Yellowstone National Park last year. Oh. That is in 2017. And that's a 40% increase from just 10 years ago. No, you're kidding me. it's unbelievable. Oh, my word. Last year when your brother Dave and I drove through Rocky Mountain National Park, now it was in the middle of summer at the peak of tourist season. But we crossed over Trail Ridge. We came from the backside, crossed over Trail Ridge to get to the Fall River. It was so unbelievably Mm -hmm. busy. It was bumper to bumper over trail ridge drive yeah man it it took us like 30 or 40 minutes to get from right when you begin to ascend to trail ridge drive to the other side it was crazy and then there was someone who had a blown out tire on the side so it was single lane traffic of course the other side is the drop off you know yeah yeah, exactly (laughs) it was unbelievable i was i thought goodness gracious have things changed? so i just think the increased mm, yeah. pressure
0: so, is, so what do we do with that uh, any wh- how do we how do we cope with that increased pressure
1: i think we have to be more generous <laughs> yeah and i that's need to true. work on that myself because oh, yeah. i yep. just i feel mm-hmm. grumpy most of the time i just think we need to be more open and more generous if we mm-hmm. really believe more people out of fly fish and we also have to allow people to be on our run when we don't want them to be on our run
0: (laughs) i know and sometimes what we've said is okay if if the first mile is is full then we'll we'll walk the extra mile well then i feel entitled i feel like well i've walked the second mile and if there's somebody in my spot like hey no what are you doing yeah Yeah, exactly you're not allowed to walk (laughs) the second mile only me
1: (laughs) what is good for the sport economically may be bad for it experientially yeah that is the quality of experience goes down as the number of fly fishers increase so
0: and i guess the good news in all of this is that there still are a lot of remote places you can fish if you're willing to hike further the next fly fisher absolutely maybe it's not going two miles maybe it's going three or maybe it's going four but we still have spots like that And so you just have to... uh, Or
1: getting up earlier, going later. mm -hmm. You just have to figure out how to fly fish. Yeah, you have to be creative. Yeah, when other people are not fly fishing.
0: Yep. Well, uh, what's the last one, Dave? Here's number six. The
1: last, and I I think this is true, I think there will become, and I don't know, I see it already, there will be increasing tension between outfitters and what I'm calling do-it-yourself fly fishers like you and me. Yeah. Now we... mm -hmm. We'll have guides. We hire guides. Yeah, but right. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking right. about And we have
0: friends who are outfitters. We're not nothing at, at all against outfitters. This no, is just no, no, more no, no, an no. observation. Total observation.
1: Yeah. So while outfitters are often on the same side of regular Joe and Jane flyfisher. fisher, uh, for example, conservation, there is still an underlying tension. Uh, outfitters need the fly fisher who will ante up five to ten thousand dollars for a trip to Alaska or. to hunt elk in Montana and my brother recently sent me an email I said hey here's this idea let's go to Alaska It was like 10 grand per person and I said well Matt I'm not so sure we're gonna go do this (laughs) and then I was talking to Steve and Steve was talking about how you know if you know the fly shops up in Alaska they put together guided trips for you. So yeah. you could put together probably a trip for probably 2500 or less. Right. Maybe mm-hmm. not less. But you could do it for almost a quarter of it yeah. if you hire an outfitter. Yep. I po- was,
0: oh, and I was looking into that recently because I thought we might be going up to Alaska uh, this summer to see families. It turns out we're going to make the trip to Idaho instead. But I was surprised some of the guides on the rivers... Uh, are charging less than, than we pay for in Montana and Wyoming if, if we wow. were going to hire a guide. So it's, so that's one of those interesting things that uh, yeah, we, we think about as, as fly fishers. I, I remember uh, fishing the boulder in Montana and uh, fishing through a stretch of private property, and, and the, the streamside access law is in place, and, and uh, I was well within my rights. And uh, every time I, I went there, somebody would come down and check me out and uh, just to make sure how did you get here and yeah, I just waded through the you know the high water area and, and I would tell them where I got access so they knew that and, and they were very polite and kind but but I also got the message hey we have this kind of this exclusive stretch that that we have we're bringing clients on and and uh, we'd really appreciate it if you would leave as soon as you can. Well, that stream access
1: yeah. law in Montana is just very unique. It's not in yeah. Colorado mm-hmm. and other places. It's just that you can, you can go through private property as long as you don't yeah. hike above the high water mm-hmm. mark, right, on those Freestone Rivers. And it's just a tremendous gift. And now, several years ago, I don't know how long ago it was, it's probably been more than just a several, that law was under assault. And this is where you find do-it-yourself fly fishers who love public access Mm -hmm. on the opposite side of outfitters. The outfitters were on the side of eliminating the law. Why? Because they want to lease private property and keep do-it-yourself fly Mm -hmm. fishers off that stream. And so that's true in Colorado. So if you own private property in Colorado, you own the stream bed. And so you can't get access at a bridge and walk through somebody's Mm -hmm. property. So Montana has this really public friendly access law yeah and I just think increasingly you're going to find outfitters on the opposite side of legislation I know there was a law that was in question in Idaho about trespassing Mm -hmm. and it was in it was really finance I don't finance is not the word but outfitters Mm -hmm. were behind this law because they want to keep Public, uh, they want to keep people off of private land, and yeah. so they're and it's and I'm, I grew up in South and North Dakota. We have land as a family, so I get it, right? Yeah. So I mm-hmm. yeah trespassing, you don't want people trespassing, no. but they had these really stringent penalties if you got caught for the third time. So if for some reason you're a fly fisher and you got you just ended up on this property the fines and the penalties were enormous. And so there was a lot of debate out there. It's just a good example of where sometimes outfitters and do-it-yourself fly fishers are on opposite sides of the fence on right. issues. Yep. And and while we we're s- united on conservation issues, yeah. mm-hmm. on access and public access, sometimes we're on opposite issues. Yep. We have on sympath- opposite sides.
0: Oh, me. you're right. And we have sympathies with both. Like you say, we have outfitter friends and. We see their side of it. We're also do-it-yourself fly fishers. And, uh, yeah, I think it's just something to watch and for all of us to try to work together.
1: Well, I see the side of the outfitters. I'm a small business owner, so I get it, right? You're trying to, you know, and and to be honest, those outfitters, the margins on those business are not high. No, no, they're not. It's full service. You're paying the landowner a fee to lease the land, and you only have limited time. Mm -hmm. So I get it. But, 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 you know, I think public access is paramount. So I tend to probably, I'm probably biased on the do it yourself. Yeah. So keep public lands open.
0: That's right. Well, those are six trends to keep an eye on. Uh, Right now, it's time for great stuff from our listeners. And here's a comment by David. He's a longtime listener. And he commented on a recent podcast on diners, drive ins, dives, and two hungry fly fishers. (laughs) David writes, I'll start by saying that the older I get, the gap closes between food and fly fishing. Used to be on the stream at Sun Up. Now my fishing partner, Jay, and I are at our favorite restaurant during Sun Up. That sounds like you and me, doesn't it? Uh, he says, we used to fly fish until dark without a lunch or supper break. Now we're off the water by 1 p.m. at our favorite mom-and-pop burger joint. I like these guys. Oh, this yeah. is great. Then back on the stream until dark, that is if we don't get the ears for a hot dog along with an ice cream cone. Priorities have changed as we've gotten older, along with our waist size. Goodness. He totally nailed that. That is so awesome. You know, it's been said that a mind is a terrible thing to waste, but I think it's also true that a waist is a terrible thing to mind, right? (laughs) Oh, man.
1: That's us, girlfriend. Yeah,
0: that's right. Oh, my. Pretty
1: soon we won't be able to hike farther (laughs) than the next person. Yeah, yeah.
0: Two guys in a restaurant, and we, we fly fish a little on the side. Well, hey, that's going to do it for today. Yeah. Uh, what are some new trends you have noticed about fly fishing? Uh, please share them with us by commenting on this podcast link at twoguysonariver.com.
1: What are some of the trends you're seeing in our great sport? Thank you for referring our podcast to your TU chapter or fly fishing club, your friends. That's how we grow, and that's actually how we've grown. And you know, after three years, we're really, really, really grateful for your trust and, and all the referrals. We'd also love to hear your ideas for upcoming episodes. Once you hit year four, you want to keep it fresh, and so we'd love all your ideas for that. Just uh, reach out to us on Instant Messenger or Instagram or Twitter. One more thing, if you haven't purchased our book, The Fly Fisher's Book of Lists, Life is Short, Catch More Fish, please do so on Amazon.
0: Well, thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. Until next time, we are two guys in a restaurant. (laughs) No. No. Nope. Two guys in a river.
1: For the love of E, yeah, for the love of fly fishing. <laughs>